I start at page 79. Islamic Social Climate Islam, on the other hand, designs to create a climate which is as different from the one described above as spring is from autumn. Within the Islamic concept of society, Islam moderates, disciplines, and trims natural desires which, if left uncontrolled, would play havoc with the gamut of human emotions. It discourages or prohibits the fulfillment of desires which can, in the final analysis, result in more misery than pleasure in the society. At the same time, Islam cultivates new tastes and develops the ability to derive pleasure and satisfaction from acts which may appear colorless, insipid, and tasteless to the uncultured and untrained. Tastes are modified and coarse sensual cravings are trained and refined and turned into aspirations for the sublime. But the question is how can we determine that the prevalent and contemporary social trends are unhealthy for society? To me, the answer seems to be a simple one. The health of a society should be judged by the same symptoms of the health as the health of an individual. When someone is in pain, restless, abnormal, or subnormal in his reactions, or when anxiety seems to displace one's content and peace of heart and mind, it does not require an exceptionally wise man or highly proficient physician to adjudge or diagnose such an unhealthy person as being seriously ill. All these symptoms are manifest in contemporary society. How true were the words of Jesus when he said, By their fruits you will recognize them. Never do people gather grapes from thorns or figs from thistles, do they? Likewise, every good tree bears fine fruit, but every rotten tree produces worthless fruit. A good tree cannot bear worthless fruit, neither can a rotten tree produce fine fruit. People are crying themselves hoarse against the bitterness of the fruit today, but somehow they do not want to replace the tree with a better one. They fail to see that it is not the tree which is at fault, nor the fruit it bears. The Islamic society order stands for the uprooting of the evil tree and the planting of a, healthy, a healthier one instead. According to the Holy Quran, when Adam salam, was forbidden to eat the fruit of the tree, this is precisely what was meant. Alam tara kayfa daraballahu mathalan kalimatan tayyibatan kashajaratin tayyibatin asluha thabitun wa faruha fi samai tu'ti ukulaha kulla hinin biizni rabbiha wa yadribullahu alamthala linnasi la'allahum yatadhakkarun Do thou not see how Allah sets forth the similitude of a good word? It is like a good tree whose root is firm and whose branches reach into heaven. It brings forth its fruits at all times by the command of its Lord, and Allah sets forth similitudes for men that they may reflect. Here, the tree is just a symbol. The Quran clearly speaks of an unhealthy philosophy as against a healthy one in the same symbolic language. The evil tree and the condition of the disbeliever are described in the next two verses. وَمَثَلُ كَلِمَةٍ خَبِيثَةٍ كَشَجَرَةٍ خَبِيثَةٍ اجْتُثَّتْ مِنْ فَوْقِ الْأَرْضِ مَا لَهَا مِنْ قَرَارٍ يُثَبِّتُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْقَوْلِ الثَّابِتِ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ وَيُذِلُّ اللَّهُ الظَّالِمِينَ وَيَفْعَلُ اللَّهُ مَا يَشَاءُ 
And the case of an evil word is like that of an evil tree, which is uprooted from above the earth and has no stability. Allah strengthens the believers with the word that is firmly established, both in the present life and in the hereafter. And Allah lets the wrongdoers go astray, and Allah does what he wills. The word is used in this context in the connotation of a philosophy, system, and order, just as the same word is also used in its much wider connotation in the opening verse of John. In the beginning, the word was, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Evil philosophies and orders are bound to meet the fate of an evil tree which fails to pass the test of survival of the fittest and is ultimately uprooted and tossed from place to place by the raging tempest. On the other hand, the example of a healthy system and order of things is like that of a healthy tree which is firmly rooted in this earth but whose lofty stems and twigs reach out into a pure heavenly atmosphere. It is nourished by heavenly light and it bears good wholesome fruits in every season. The Holy Quran describes the believers as having a firm belief in God. Their entire ethical and moral structure is securely and firmly founded in this belief. This gives a quality of absoluteness to the Islamic concept of morality and ethics, which does not permit discrimination on any known plane of social, religious, or racial divisions. The guiding principle applicable to all human activity is expressed in the following verse of the Holy Quran. وَلِلَّهِ غَيْبُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَإِلَيْهِ يُرْجَعُ الْأَمْرُ كُلُّهُ فَاعْبُدُهُ وَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَيْهِ وَمَا رَبُّكَ بِغَافِلٍ عَمَّا تَعْمَلُونَ To Allah belong the hidden things of the heavens and the earth, and to him shall the whole affair be referred. So worship him, and put thy faith in him alone. And thy Lord is not unmindful of what you do. Likewise, Verily, his is the creation and the command. Blessed is Allah, the Lord of the worlds. All Islamic philosophies start and end with the absolute authority of God, the Lord creator of the universe. Fundamentals of an Islamic society the Quranic verse, which is most central to this issue, is as follows. Inna allaha ya'muru bil'adli wal-ihsani wa ita'i dhil-qurba wa yanha'an al-fahshai wal-munkari wal-baghi ya'idhukum la'allakum tadhakkaroon. Verily, God enjoys justice, and more than justice, to give people more than their dues, and to serve humanity with beneficent treatment as if they belong to you, like your near kith and kin. And God prohibits the display of evil, as observed nowadays so often on television, radio, and streets of many societies of the world, and forbids all that is considered wrong, not by religions, but by human conscience, and everything that leads to rebellion and chaos. God admonishes you. May you benefit from this admonishment. The first part of this verse is applicable more to the economic sphere than the social order. It paints a clear image of the Islamic concept of justice, fair play, and benevolence in treating the less fortunate sections of society. The second part applies to the social image of a society, which Islam is committed to create. In this part, 
God forbids all that is considered wrong by universal standards like indecent behavior, affront, insult, and indeed all social evils which, without reference to any religious teachings, are condemned by the general consensus of human society at large. Similarly, Islam strictly rejects and condemns every tendency, behavior, and attitude which may lead to disorder or rebellion and violence. The word rebellion should be understood in the connotation of any unjustified attempt to overthrow and establish an established order. But that is not all. Whenever the Arabic word baghi is used in the Holy Quran, it is applicable not only to an armed or political uprising, but also to a rebellion in society against its noble traditions, ethical standards, religious teachings, and moral value. In the end, a society is clearly warned that this admonition is for man's own benefit. This completes the picture of the essential features of an Islamic social order. It may be added that the first part of this verse is also deeply intertwined with the Islamic social teachings. A society which is insensitive to the sufferings of other human beings and is not always inclined to serve the cause of humanity cannot be described as an Islamic society howsoever it may adhere to other aspects of Islamic social teachings. Let us now turn to some other features of Islamic society envisaged in the Holy Quran. Islam emphasizes integrity, loyalty, faithfulness, and promotes all such measures as would create peace of mind and heart. It takes preventive measures against the society becoming lopsided in its pursuit of pleasure. Hence, any behavior whatsoever and howsoever innocent as it may appear in the beginning, which is likely to lead towards unrestrained permissiveness in the society, is discouraged. The damage done to society is immense and manifold. Such societies are bound to end up in the state of promiscuousness with promiscuousness we find in the world today. In such societies, the unrestricted tendency to pursue pleasure leads, among other things, to the erosion and ultimate destruction of family ties. Contrary to this, Islam cherishes and zealously guards all fatherly, motherly, brotherly, sisterly, and filial relationships. Islam wants to promote friendships which are more platonic than sensual. Chastity Beginning with a plan for women in society, it is essential, according to Islam, to take all such measures to promote chastity, fidelity, and restraint, and clean living. An emphasis on chaste living, well, ins well insulated against the dangers of a short-circuiting of sexual urges, is an important feature of Islamic society. This aspect of Islamic social teachings is extremely important for the protection and survival of the family system. This is the dire need of the hour. Islam seeks to widen the unit of family rather than to squeeze it to a bare minimum. A family in which the human capacity to love and the desire to be loved is satiated not by the mere fulfilling of sexual urges, but by more sophisticated and refined friendship and association such as naturally prevails between close and distant blood relations. It is surprising how the wise men of modern society fail to notice human weakness once sex-related pleasures are permitted to play an unbridled role in the society. Indeed, they flourish at the expense of other refined values 
and draw their blood like parasites. Sigmund Freud, no doubt, was the product of such a society. He began to analyze every human motivation through the colored eyeglass of sex. To him, the most pious child-mother relationship was sex-related. Even the father-daughter relationship had no sanctity but was sex-oriented or sex-generated. Almost everything that man did, irrespective of him being aware of it or not, was for the deeply subconscious sex urges. I wonder if in the time of fruit, society had achieved the degree of promiscuity which prevails today, but it was enough to give birth to a completely sex-dominated understanding of the human psyche. But if fruit was right, it is even more essential not to permit society to play incautiously with such dangerous forces as may cause a short-circuiting. Alas, the present climate of modern societies would not even attempt to understand the nature and features of the Islamic social climate, whether man agrees or does not agree with the concept of God playing a role in human affairs and shaping man's destiny, and whether man is willing to modulate his social behavior in accordance with the revealed word of God or not. One thing is most certain, man can neither defeat the act of God, that is nature, nor the word of God, that is the revealed truth. Both the act and word must be found in harmony with each other to be considered valid. Any social behavior which man adopts in direct contradiction of the word of God is bound to end in disaster. Man cannot have unlimited and unrestricted pleasure however he may desire it. All he can do is to swap certain values and options. A society which seeks to escape responsibility or the realities of life with the help of opiates and drugs, a society which is obsessed by sex, vain incitement and exhilaration, a society where the tastes are willfully perverted to suit an artificially created market for new instruments and toys of pleasure which are fit only to create excitement and thirst for more. A market must minded by powerful syndicates whose sole purpose is to amass wealth. Such a society chooses all this at the cost of nobler human values, peace of mind and security in a society as a whole. You cannot possess both simultaneously. You cannot have your cake and eat it. The emphasis of Islam is exactly the opposite. Pleasure indeed but not at the cost of peace of mind and the security of society as a whole. All such tendencies, which, if unchecked, are likely to lead to a gradual disintegration of family life and promote selfishness, irresponsibility, vulgarity, crime and violence, are strongly discouraged. The climate created by the two philosophies are poles apart. It astounds me how some people believe that by raising ambitions or giving free rein to desires in a society, they can ever hopefully promise peace of mind. No society in the world, however economically sound it may be, can support unlimited and unbridled generation of lustful desires. Even in the richest societies of the world, there are always haves and have-nots. Those who are deprived of the most basic amenities of life make a much larger section of the society than the comparatively smaller number of those who can afford to pay for what they like. Even that is questionable because it seems that with the growth of wealth, desires also rise and perhaps even the richest cannot fully realize all their dreams.
But the case of the comparatively poorer majority is worse. They cannot even have access to the basic amenities of life, not to speak of the luxuries the affluent society can afford. It is the poor with whose emotions and desires modern media plays havoc. Day in, day out, it brings to their squalid dwellings rosy images of a glorious lifestyle with palatial homes, fabulous gardens, fleets of luxury cars, helicopters, private planes, and an army of attendants. The lifestyles of Hollywood and Beverly Hills with revelries, dances, merrymaking parties, or the life in casinos, gambling houses, or all that soap operas can conjure up are temptations to which the poorest have access. Yet few, even amongst the richest, can ever dream of achieving this heaven on earth. Such people would most certainly lose interest in their poor core surroundings. The home and hearth would no longer have any appeal to them. Lack of culture and civilization stand juxtaposed to this rosy vision. And in this context, the realities of their own life begin to lose all meaning. If this were the ultimate achievement of a society fed on vain pleasures and unreal visions, warmth and the peace of home and, and hearth all become increasingly illusionary, then there would be nothing left for them to live for in the future. It would take more than one measure to restore the traditional family unit so, so essential to bind its members together with mutual trust, reliance, and warmth generating peace. But perhaps we are already too late to talk of this. Islam has a clear message. It has a well-defined plan to protect, guard, and preserve a universal family system or to rebuild it wherever it has been totally demolished. According to Islam, Discipline must be inculcated through conviction and understanding in every sphere of, so of social activity and lost balances must be restored. Segregation of sexes People in the West grossly misunderstand the Islamic social system of Parda seen as the segregation between the two sexes. This misunderstanding partly arises out of a misapplication of the true teachings of Islam in many parts of the Muslim world and the negative role of the Western media. It has become a rule with Western media to associate the ugliness of behavior wherever it occurs with Islam, but to refrain from associating Jewish, Christian, Buddhist, or Hindu behavior to their respective religions. The Islamic injunction of segregation is certainly not born out of a narrow-minded attitude of the past dark ages. In fact, the question of promiscuousness or otherwise in a society has no relationship whatsoever to the advancement or backwardness of time. Societies throughout history have either ridden along the crest or descended to the, uh, to the troughs of social or religious waves. Societies throughout history have either ridden along the crest or descended to the throes of social or religious waves. The concept of women's lib is not at all a progressive trend of human society. There is strong evidence that, both in the remote past as well as in the closer period of human history, women as a class have held a very powerful and dominant position in human society in different parts of the world. Free and inhibited intercourse between the male and female sections of a society is nothing new and novel. Civilizations came and went, 
behavior patterns kept oscillating between one style and another. The myriads of social tendencies have been falling and settling down into different patterns only to go through new experimentation and formation at each twist of the kaleidoscope. Yet, no trend has ever been fixed by which we could conclude with certainty that, throughout history, society traveled from segregation to promiscuity or from confinement to comparative emancipation and liberation of women. I stop at page 90.